Welcome back to another episode of Marvel News Desk, your best place to keep up with all the latest news, reviews, and speculation concerning Marvel films and TV shows. Uh, we're Because of our film review today, we are recording nice and early. So good morning, Adam and Rhiannon. How are you guys doing? Hey, good morning. This is the earliest I've been up in like my life. <laughs> Wait, didn't you suggest that we record it this time? I suggested it, yeah. I didn't really think, but... Wow. You had to be an hour earlier than us. So good for well, you. I figured let's just get it out of the way, you know? Because, I mean, before we kind of segmented the day and it was kind of... Oh, it's it's great for us, man. We we got to wake up at 8.30 or so and, you know... Well, I mean, you two were already up reading the newspaper and stuff, so... <laughs> Actually, uh, my alarm clock is just two children screaming at each other, so... Uh, yeah, it's mostly, right. it's mostly dealing with the fighting of three and five year olds. So. <laughs> I've had time to get up and walk to my little bodega and get some breakfast. Though the guy there at the bodega did comment. He said that I looked a little bit more tired than normal. I always love when people say that. Yeah. Hey, you, you look, look sick terrible. today. <laughs> oh, okay. What? Well, yeah, I feel fine. Like I feel the best I've ever felt, but thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad he cares, you know? It's nice to know there's somebody around that cares. Does it have a cat? So it's not really a bodega. It's more like a grill. Um, but no, no cat. I wish it had a cat. Um, Maybe we should talk gotcha. about cats on this podcast. I, I think we will, Ooh, probably. That. <laughs> so it's Captain Marvel week, uh, and we'll start with Captain Marvel news. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about this movie and the reviews and Rotten Tomatoes and what would happen and what's happening is it's making a freaking ton of money. It looks like it's going to come in about $160 million as we record this. Uh, given the way this thing's had a trajectory, I mean, I would not be surprised if tomorrow they squeeze another 5 or 10 out. Uh, maybe not, but we'll see. It maybe comes down, you never know, Saturday to Sunday. But $160 million, uh, big-time previews. Generally, it's it's tracking above most MCU things except for... You know, Avengers movies and, and Civil War and Black Panther. So, it's, you know, going to be one of the top five or six biggest releases in MCU history. And all the exit polling that actually is legitimate sensing of how people feel about this movie instead of what internet trolls do a la Rotten Tomatoes is really good. The cinema score was an A. Um, the post track has been very good. All that kind of stuff. So it's being received well. People love it. It's making lots of money. I assume that it has already made money from you two. Uh, well, if not, it's going to be an interesting review mm-hmm. later. But um, what was it like? I guess sure we'll is. talk about what was it like for you going in to the theater? Did you have a good time? What did you think of the crowds? All that kind of stuff. No, you go first. You saw it first. So I'll let you talk about that. <laughs> so I've seen it twice already. And uh, so I was lucky enough to see it on Tuesday night at a special preview event. And then I went and paid to see it again. I really liked it. I, um, I, it was generally better than I expected. I had expected, um, I mean, my expectations were kind of low. I didn't love the trailers. But like the one thing I've been telling a lot of people afterwards is it's better than the trailers. It, um, it's, it's, they did good. It's We'll talk in depth later, but overall, I think they did good. Um, Part of the reason I decided to see it the second time, actually, was I wanted to see the difference in the crowds. I, the, 
first crowd was a little bit like, I, I don't know. I just felt like there wasn't a whole lot of moments where they all get very excited. So I went to see it the second time just to see if people were more into it. And it was good. I was surprised. So I went to the same the, the same exact theater, the same exact showing or the time showing. Um, and I walked in probably half hour early, um, and the theater had substantially more people than it did for Infinity War. Um, I mean, it filled up, I mean, it was near capacity, um, when Infinity War had maybe 20 people. Um, I have no idea, that just boggled my mind, I'm not sure, um... I mean, they marketed the crap out of it. I couldn't go, you know, it seemed like they had a commercial every TV break. Um, so I wonder if that was it or or what. But obviously, um, after seeing that, I'm like, okay, it's going to be entertaining to see uh, the box office returns this weekend. So it kind of matches up with uh, at least the people that showed up in my theater. I certainly didn't anticipate as many people there and as you guys know i'm in rural iowa so it's not like i have to uh buy advance tickets or anything of that nature um but they they responded well at least with their money to uh buy tickets yeah so we bought our tickets like two months ago i realized when i pulled up the email for like the thing to scan that it was like oh we bought these on january 7th and um we went to the ten fifteen show because we had to do something earlier and so we were afraid that we'd not stay awake because we're old, but it was, it was amazing. Like the theater was full. There was a ton of people wearing like Captain Marvel hats and t-shirts and merchandise. And, um, there was a lot of cheering and stuff in ours. I think we just have a good theater. Like, I just like the showings that we go to. So, uh, they also bought, they've brought, they have bought brand new, uh, comfy, like recliner chairs. I don't know if they recline, but they're like. Very it's like nice. sitting in your living room in the IMAX now. Um, so that was really exciting. <laughs> it was a small perk of going to that movie. I, I was very upset because I normally buy the theater with the reclining comfy chairs. And when I was trying to decide if I was going to go again, I was like, oh, I do want to sit in the reclining comfy chair. And um, the IMAX theater I was in did not have the reclining comfy chairs. Like people had to climb over you to get to their assigned seats. Which was a real pain in the butt with the assigned seats when somebody shows up late that has that middle middle seat and has to climb up over everybody as you get the flip through credits. But that's just one of my peeves. Well, my the new chairs. The one problem is the numbers are like at calf level, like on the sides of the chairs, and they even put them directly between two seats, and there's like a little red arrow that points to whether it's the seat to the right or left. And there were just people like coming up to me and basically staring into my crotch. I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, I'm just trying to look at the number. Oh, <laughs> like no. it was it was funny. Well as you see he the theaters here, we don't even have chairs. <laughs> yeah, yet. You guys just stand around you so you sit got... <laughs> crisscross applesauce. <laughs> Pretty much standing around a folding chair. Yeah, so you guys are lucky. <laughs> Pretty much. Communal chairs. Yeah. Though, I mean, so, I mean, I never want to complain about getting a free screener and getting to see the movie early in a cool crowd. Um, 
But the security guards were directly behind me, what's often referred to as, like, the Marvel snipers, and they talked through the whole movie. Like, I think one of them would have to go and do, like, a patrol or something, make sure people weren't videoing or whatever. I don't know, because, like, our buddy Charles Villanueva saw the movie, like, literally hours after me in the Philippines. But they would, so, like, one would come back and be like, okay, so what you just missed is, and just, like, at full volume, and I'm like, dude, that's totally killing it here. All right, we'll jump back to Captain Marvel here in just a minute, but let's go ahead and talk about a few other things that happened this week in the news. Um, I think the next thing we'll talk about, that hashtag show is reporting that Marvel is making a big deal with their casting of Eternals to get their first LGBTQ plus actor or actress to be in a major lead role. It appears that the character is going to be uh, gay as well. Um, are you guys surprised that Disney is making this step or are you surprised that it's taken them that this long to make this step? I think it's interesting that they're making a publicized effort to make that not necessarily publicized because that hashtag show, um, but that is like an early sign that they're planning to make that they're not trying to hide that and they're trying to make that their next, um, diversity area uh you know like they've gone for the um i don't even want to say african-american because it's not you know they've gone for the people of color trying you know we've got shang chi and black panther they're going in the women's direction with black widow and captain marvel and i mean the next area of diversity and the one that seems to be much harder to break through and get universal support for is the lgbtq plus and so I think it shows that Disney is really all in on this diversity thing and they're not going to back down from the controversial sides of it. Um, So I'll be interested to see how that plays out. I mean, how they continue playing out. I give zero, zero cares in the world what people think about it. I'm going to have to buy plenty of popcorn just for the comments alone. Seriously, does it stress you out, Adam? Like, as knowing that you're going to be writing about it? <laughs> oh no, I've stopped. No, I, I've totally, I've totally stopped after getting into this Captain Marvel stuff. Um, unless someone mentions me or something, I, I've, I've totally. I used to go to like Facebook and kind of see what people were seeing, but since the page has uh, like almost five million likes, you know, there's a substantial amount of comments. Uh, but no, I, I stopped. I totally, totally stopped. Personal growth. I would like to thank Captain Marvel for giving me that strength. Because gee, I never even read the man. comments for the stuff I wrote at MCU Exchange. See, yeah, but the man, the uh, if I see any, you can't. When, when it comes to Eternals, you can't get upset with them tinkering with comic storylines or comic mythos or anything of that nature first of all nobody's i've i've yet to i'm sure they exist i've yet to see like a diehard eternals fan so we're not ruining childhoods here you know i've it's not gonna exactly you know if someone's i would be very surprised obviously there there's a fan of every comic you know 
but I mean, what they 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 have three different comic runs. Uh, it was twelve issues. It was more than some of the newer stuff, right? Three. The the thing that's weird is the third and fourth volume follow. It's like the crap they do now. They follow right into each other. So it was like a six or eight issue um, thing. And then as soon as it ended, they relaunched a new series that picked up exactly where the last one left off. So two and a half sphere. But like the entire Eternals mythos can be confined to like under 50 issues, right? Because I think the first volume was like 20 some maybe. I know the tactic though. What they're going to do is um, they'll go to Jack Kirby and they'll be like, oh, Marvel screwed Jack Kirby for so many years and now... Here they are doing it again, taking his creation and making it SJW, blah, 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 blah. Like, that's the way they'll do it. They know they can't do the you're ruining my childhood approach, so they'll make it a you're ruining Jack Kirby's legacy approach. All right, uh, other news. Um, So there's been some casting for Morbius. I never know how to talk about casting news because I don't think there's really too much to know. Uh, Jared Leto did show a photo that shows they are... Uh, filming the movie and that Morbius will look like Jared Leto, which I don't think is a surprise. Uh, they also cast Jared Harris and Tyrese Gibson this week into some roles. Does this move the needle at all for you guys? Tyrese is a pretty big draw, at least box office wise, maybe. I mean, obviously not as big as The Rock. Speaking of um, ruined childhoods, if there was one property that had less source material to draw from than Eternals, it's Morbius. So there's that. But Morbius, like, shows up in a lot of stuff. Yeah, elsewhere as, like, right. And it typically involves someone turning into a vampire. So that list of names, was it all dudes? Um, I don't know if it was this week. They have cast, uh, I'm going to try to do this right, Adria Arjona, or Arjona, I don't know how to pronounce her name. She's a woman. Okay, yeah. And they have Matt Smith already on board, right? Yeah. Sounds like a sausage fest. Yeah, sounds like a sausage fest. Uh, I can tell you that her first YouTube videos, according to a Google search, is her as an underwear model. So, you know, that doesn't mean everything, but (laughs) suggests maybe she's not there purely for her acting talent. I mean, I like watching dudes. I like vampire stories. I keep forgetting this project exists, but that's kind of normal. But a good vampire movie's got to have... Like, I've never totally understood this, but, like, you're a vampire fan. There's supposed to be some kind of, like, romance element to it? No, no, I don't think it's about the romance. I think it's more, um, because, like, the tragedy of vampirism is that, like, you're living forever. So, even if there is a romance, like, unless it's another vampire, the, see... You guys already know, I go for, like, the emo broody stuff, so it's, like, all sad because, like, the woman is either mortal or you curse her to that immortal life. Um, And so I don't feel like there has to be a romance for it to be a vampire genre film. I mean, Interview with a Vampire doesn't entirely have a romance angle to it. I mean, it kind of does, it kind of doesn't. I don't think that's what draws. There just usually is because there's that tragedy element to the vampire story. But I didn't think Morbius was a mopey. And that's what I probably need to study up on Mobius a little. Morbius. <laughs> Mobius. <laughs> the, 
never ending. The movie is stripped. It like never ends. And like vampires live forever. And it's early in the morning and I will drink more coffee now. Um, the, I didn't think he was a mopey, uh, romantic vampire. Is he? I thought he was like a badass kill people vampire. Um, well, I, again, most of my knowledge of this is from a cartoon. Yeah, he's like a Punisher with fangs, right? Maybe not to that extent. And he does have uh, a love interest that's like one of Peter Parker's classmates in the cartoon. Which, yeah. Isn't Peter Parker in high school? No, it's all college. NY State. I mean, the thing about having everlasting life is that, you know, like if you start your relationship young, at least you'll have that person for a really long time. But anyways, I will try to study up on Morbius. Yeah. Morbius the Mobius. There's been similar casting news come out about Black Widow. They're starting to get more serious about uh, putting people in that film. And uh, again, just a variety of rumors. One of them is that Emma Watson may be close to the other female lead in the movie. Uh, There's talk that there's going to be a villain who is going to be like African or black British um actor and there's rumors about maybe taskmaster uh there was also a group of younger actresses who were apparently um being cast for another role that we're uncertain of it's kind of hard because none of these things we can confirm uh adam i think you're up for the uh taskmaster option is that right yeah i'm down most people would say that they're race swapping uh, Taskmaster, but the ultimate version of the character is is a black character, um, and obviously they've pulled from the Ultimate Universe before. Um, so there's that. Emma Watson would be huge. That's, I would think she would almost be an antagonist as well. That kind of fits in with their mo, kind of of getting a big name. Um, for their villains while kind of going on the more indie side for the protagonist. But Black Widow is not the typical movie since their protagonist is already cast as an A-list character. I love the idea of Emma Watson being a Marvel villain or an antagonist of some sort. I, I, I got excited about this. But you guys know, like, I haven't been excited about a ScarJo movie. But, like, Emma Watson's in it, so now I'm a little excited. Or if she's in it. Yeah, I do wonder if there's a Brie Larson effect. Like, the way Brie Larson came into Marvel and was able to... Like, we've talked... Again, we're going back to this, but, like, we've talked about all these issues with um, sort of the advocacy of Brie Larson and some of the backlash that came from certain fandoms and the fact that Marvel supported her through it and let her be who she is. I think... If I'm Emma Watson and I have sort of the political platform Emma Watson has and I see Brie Larson supported by Feige the way she has been, then when Marvel calls and says, hey, we've got something for you, I'm much more likely to take that than I would be if Disney had been like, well, I mean, sorry, guys, we're not trying to offend anyone, blah, 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 blah. Like, this is a dividend of how they handled the Captain Marvel situation in my mind. Yeah, and it would kind of overshadow because... Scarlett Johansson has said some uh, questionable things over the years. So it would kind of help offset that when it comes to that side. Maybe both sides would be happy. (laughs) Yeah, poor... I don't know if it's her fault or not, but Johansson has had some 
interesting casting decisions recently. So, well, it's not even the casting decisions; it's just like some of the comments that she's made surrounding the controversy in those casting decisions that I think some people have. All right, uh, let's talk about Agents of Shield for a minute. Uh, we got a poster for the next season. Uh, they're going to do a presentation at WonderCon. And uh, there's talk that FDR is being cast for the season seven premiere, which means more time travel. Well, maybe not, but probably. Yeah. Any thoughts on any of this, Rhiannon? I just don't want... I, I mean, coming out of Captain Marvel, even, the time travel sets up so many... Oh, it's just exhausting. So, um... FDR would be Peggy Carter days, right? Yeah. I meant to look up. Yeah. So do you guys think this means an Agent Carter showing? Yeah? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I think. Instead of time travel, I think they're going back to the SSR. Because, I mean, FDR was the one that gave the order to create the SSR, correct? So for our new listeners, because this is a movie podcast and we always get some new listeners, Rihanna never watched all of Agent Carter. <laughs> well, that was even in that was in Captain America, right? With uh, whoever Tommy Lee Jones played. He was SSR. Okay. Yeah. So the S.H.I.E.L.D. predecessor, Tommy Lee Jones and Agent Carter from Captain America that was formed in World War II. This is one of the great downfalls of First Avenger, is no one knows that character's name. We just all call him Tommy Lee Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But I think it does make sense, particularly as ABC has not been able to launch anything else uh, as far as shows. If Season 7 really is the end of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I would love for them to do flashbacks and not only wrap up Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but maybe wrap up some of those cliffhangers that we had in Agent Carter. Because if you did watch all of Season 2 of Agent Carter, it ended on a cliffhanger for Season 3 that we've never gotten solved. And so if they wrapped up them both as sort of like, a, eh, we're finishing off this kind of corner of the MCU, I would appreciate that much. All right, last thing that we're going to talk about in the news, and then we'll get into Captain Marvel. Uh, We got this covered, who I don't think we trust at all, (laughs) suggests that Marvel is working on an R-rated Blade movie with Wesley Snipes. Uh, I think we've heard this kind of thing before. I mean, do you believe this at all, Adam? I think I know the answer, but... (laughs) Nope. Nope. Nope, not in the slightest. I know several sites won't cover on them anymore. But um, I'm not sure where their sources are or who they are or or what, but chances are this report's wrong. Um, Yeah, I mean, just just look at their track record. That's all I got to say. I mean, that would be such a random thing. I mean, let's just look at this objectively. Like, we don't even... I mean, I think it's ridiculous to even think Hugh Jackman will come and be Wolverine in the MCU for a character that played Blade early 2000s, 90s. When did he play Blade? I think one came out like 98, maybe 99, late 90s. Yeah. So for a guy that played a character in the 90s to come back and be that character again, 20, I don't like thinking, yeah, 20 years later, like, eh, 
particularly after his career fell off a cliff and he got arrested for tax evasion and all the other things that have happened with Wesley Snipes. There are many, many talented actors out there that could play that role and play it well. So to think that they would for some reason go with that same person 20 years later, there would have to be a hugely compelling reason. And I'm not buying any of it. Yeah. And I mean, chances are Blade's going to be like a 10-year franchise, right? It should be a franchise at least, so maybe I don't. I don't know. It just seems like a bizarre choice. How old is Wesley Snipes? He's got to be fifty or sixty, right? I have no idea. Or am I way overshooting? Yeah, I don't even know. Maybe he's forty. My bad. But uh, yeah, it's just. But the thing, I mean, and if I mean, sure, give him a cameo or something that winks at that previous role, but no. Yeah, I think that's totally something they do. Obviously, they love their cameos, but I don't see. I, I, I'm going to play conspiracy theorist here. All right, why this could be true? Okay. First of all, do you guys remember they were going to release a Blade comic series that was about his teenage daughter, and then it right it was announced and they said it was going to hit shelves, and then they never put it out. There were some rumblings that they pulled it because they actually liked it so much that they were going to develop it for film or TV instead of put it out as a comic book. And that would make a lot of sense to bring Wesley Snipes into, that it's like this fully formed older blade that's been behind the scenes and he has a daughter. Also, while this sounds ridiculous, it's not as ridiculous as when I read something that said Leah Thompson was working on a Howard the Duck something for Marvel, and I said, no, that was... 35 40 years ago there's no way they're bringing back leah thompson for howard the duck oh yeah they were and so i mean that was obviously a cartoon but you know but she she said they pitched him for a movie though so i just think that they happened to be working on howard the duck while she was because wasn't she involved with chip i think chip zadarsky was part of the pitching process for the record, I want to see Chip write whatever movie he wants to because I think it would be the best movie ever. Um, I don't know. So that raises all sorts of questions. I mean, is Wesley Snipes just going to be an older Blade or are we supposed to make sure like those three movies are canon or, or what? Because then if the movies are canon, then that means the CW show has to be canon. So I think it's... Uh, I feel like Incredible Hulk worked this way. You can argue that Incredible Hulk picks up in such a way that the Bruce, that Eric Bana Hulk movie isn't necessarily out of continuity. They never said it is in continuity, but they kind of left it open so that if you wanted to feel that way, you could. And I could see them doing that with this too. Fair enough. It's all connected, right? Who even did the Who even did the Blade uh, Blade movies? Was that Sony or was that Universal or? Oh, I have no idea. Paramount. I don't even know where to start with those. All right, that's enough of the news. I don't think there's any trailers. Let's go ahead and jump into Captain Marvel, so we can have a good long conversation about this movie. Uh, as the first female hero in the MCU, I think it's only appropriate, Rhiannon, that we should get your feelings first. So, did you like this movie? I, I liked it. I liked it. I liked it far more. Um, I find myself telling a lot 
lot of um, friends. It's better than the trailers. Yeah. Like I, I've said through the podcast, um, I was not psyched for this movie seeing the trailers that they put out. But seeing the movie itself, it very quickly answered a lot of the questions with the trailers. They... Seeing that the mohawk face mask thing was, like, the equivalent of, like, an astronaut suit that eased my concerns and stuff. Like, all of that felt very weird to me, just coming from out of nowhere. So, um, they very quickly answer a lot of my questions or uh, eased a lot of my concerns, um... It had a good story. I was interested in where it was going. It managed to be a story of self-discovery that didn't, like... Yeah, I was worried the whole movie was going to be this, Oh, I need to put together my past. I don't have my memories. Ah. Um, But very early in the movie, and, you know, just, like, full spoilers. I mean, we're assuming anybody listening at this point has seen the movie, right? Yeah, we've tried to do non-spoiler talk, and then we just make ourselves really nervous for 15 minutes. So, yeah, we're going to go into spoilers. So, go see the movie. Yeah, full spoilers. Um, I, I I love that they just started delving into giving her her memories back early on and giving us enough of those pieces that it felt more like just putting some of the pieces together and that being sort of a subplot of everything else. Um, I was very not excited about the idea of a whole movie of I need to know who I am. I feel like that was a, you know, B story to everything else to I need to discover what I can do and I need to help these people and I need to, you know, deal with this situation and everything. So um, I was surprised how much fury we got and that was just kind of fun. I I didn't feel like I was seeing Fury so much as Samuel L. Jackson in the 90s. Um, I'm fully Team Goose. I, um, I, I loved the uh, Maria Rambo. I can't wait to see what happens to Monica Rambo. I hope she comes back. Uh, in the future times, I uh, I'm sure we'll have a whole side discussion about the music. Let's let's just like put that off to later. Um, I I've been you know like as the resident person that was like of the '90s, um, I had feelings about the music. Um, yeah, but I'm gonna go into some of it right now. Um, what? I mean, Carol Danvers disappeared from Earth in 1989. She came back to Earth for like three days in 1995. Her music is not 90s music. Um, So there were parts of that that felt a little uneven to me. But like Maria Rambo listening to TLC's Waterfalls totally fit for me. Well, I know Adam had issues with it. Um, I... I, I thought they wove it together well. I mean, I, I've i watched this twice this week. When I tried to watch Infinity War a second time, I started, started to, like, fall asleep in the middle part. So, like, 
it kept my interest. I almost like find myself wanting to go see it a third time. There were so many little pieces that pieced together, but it didn't feel like a scavenger hunt. It felt like entertainment with little pieces pieced together. I feel like people could go and watch it that know nothing about Marvel and enjoy it. And people could go and watch it that have watched all of the other movies three times and they'd really enjoy it. Um, I don't come out of it feeling like, oh, this is my superhero. I could be her. You know, like I so relate to that, like raw girl power. Just because like there was like. I mean, she got her powers from the Tesseract. Like, there were aliens involved. She lived with aliens. She was trained to be a badass woman by aliens. Like, I relate more, or, you know, I, 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 I lean more towards being inspired by Shuri, who, yeah, lives in a, uh, also has advantages not available to your average everyday American girl, but I can relate to better. But I feel like they're creating a world where there's something that all sorts of women can relate to. And I think they're doing a really good good job at that. I'm interested. I picked up, there were several of these points where they really tried to explicitly engage in sort of the issues that women deal with. And so some of the little hints, like the guy on the motorcycle that wanted her to smile and um, being told over and over again, you are too emotional and your emotions are the reason that you can't handle this. And then that moment at the end where Jan Rog tries to take credit for her, like, oh, you figured out your powers because because of the way I coached you. Did those resonate with you or were they too heavy handed or? You know, I didn't even catch the emotional one, but you are so right with that. Um, the smile, you know. You should smile like that one. I totally caught that one. I felt was very heavy handed. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess they had to put that in there. And there felt to me like a lot of stuff in this movie that like they had to put that in there. Like um, I actually my first viewing was with Michael T. Ford, who who we often interact with on the podcast. Um, and Mike and I were talking. I mean, he was talking about like the little scene of the getting back up again, you know, the little montage of. She's knocked down and she gets up. She knocked down and she gets up. Like, okay, we get it. She's knocked down. She gets up. She's knocked down. She gets up. She did. Yeah. And then stopped that just the side of annoying. Um, but I didn't even catch the emotional one. And that was a very good one. Um, and, and, I didn't even, yeah, Yanrog taking credit. I guess, I guess that just shows, like, for me, like, once you get to my point, you don't even, like, notice half that crap. You just, like, put up with it and get on with it. It felt to me like they really did. They had boxes they wanted to tick in this movie and that they ticked a lot of them. Yeah, if you go back for a third time, um, I think Jude Law says, like, three times in the first half hour, you have to get your emotions in check. Oh, yeah. And the supreme intelligence is like, you'll never be great until you deal with your emotions. And I was just thinking about, like, whenever we have a presidential election and, well, can we elect a woman? I mean, she'll get real emotional when it's time to decide if she can push the button or not. You know, I thought that was kind of explicit. Oh, I've been told it myself. I mean, like, as a professional woman, when I, I mean, the job I'm in right now. The last piece of advice my mentor gave me before I started it is you've you're you know, good luck, enjoy it, your emotions are gonna get the best of you and you're gonna lose it. Yeah. So like I've 
experienced that so much. I just didn't make that connection. Thank you, Caleb. Wait, you called that advice? That, that doesn't seem like advice. Yeah, her advice was keep your emotions in check. But then it ended with you're going to you're going to f it up. Enjoy it while it lasts. Which screw you, advisor. So, Adam, as the uh, as the disenfranchised one that Marvel hates, what did you think about this movie? <laughs> what's what's that supposed to mean? Just I was teasing about the way the trolls were like they hate half their fan base. Blah 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 blah. Did this movie ruin your childhood? Oh, oh, oh! You're saying as a straight white male? What? Okay, no, I. It is much much better than Ant Man and the Wasp. I'll say that. Oh, definitely. But you guys know my my thoughts on that. It was it was so dope that the the structure they had set up had every chance to go south, but they managed to tie it together. There was a point where I'm like, I don't know how they're going to tie this all together. It was just so bizarre. It wasn't necessarily, well, it was kind of time travel with the memories and stuff and jumping all over the place. Um, but it it finally tied itself all up and made sense. Um, several awesome e- Easter eggs. I almost audibly screamed. Uh, when I saw Kelly Sue, I'm uh, like, oh shit, they actually put her in the movie. Where was she? I don't recognize her face. Uh, she was on the uh, platform right when she exits, when uh, Carol exits like the train, she bumps into someone with like bright red hair. Oh, okay, cool. And Kelly Sue like makes this grimace face or kind of looks at uh, Carol funny. Um, which was dope because it was this, essentially the same scene as Stan's cameo. Which was another awesome... Are we going to talk about how Kevin Smith is now canon in the MCU or what? We can't... Yeah, I saw him. He was like crying. Like that was so big for him. He was bawling his eyes out. Oh my god. I, I, I saw Kevin's tweet that he was going into it. I didn't know if like they... I mean, it seems like they would need his permission to reference... I mean, at least Marvel being Marvel, like they would have permission from anything that they reference in the movie. So I assumed he would know that there was a Mallrats reference. And that was crazy. <laughs> right. Well, maybe, I mean, it could be the fact, maybe they said, hey, we're going to do a Mallrats cameo, but it just so happened to include his mentor and after, you know, the first one after Stan's. That was awesome. Stan's tribute was pretty cool, too. That was awesome. Talk about a way to buy goodwill before the movie starts. You know, like my theaters, like everyone's clapping before the movie even begins, so... Let's talk about, uh, so they pronounced it a couple ways. How are you guys saying that? I'm saying it Talos, because I've heard it both Talos and Talos. Sure. I say Talos, but yeah. We'll say Talos. Talos, Talos, whatever. Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, man. He was probably, he he's one of my favorite MCU characters. Um, at first, it was uh, obviously just like this one-dimensional villain, but the turning point obviously was that milkshake scene. As soon as the milkshake scene came in, I'm like, all right, I love this character. Like the science guy jabs and stuff. It's just my type of goofy humor. I loved him from the point that they had her upside down going through her memories. I mean, like to me, that was a different... To me, they started giving him dimension there. You know, where it's like, oh, let's see what she knows. Like, are you guys as confused as I am? Like, what the heck? Like, it was a cool way to narrate, but also give him personality. Yeah, like that was that was a really good way to uh, do that too. 
Um, I really like that. Uh, Jan Rog was all right. Um, obviously, the, there there were some Easter eggs later on, like when she was cycling through the suits. They did a bunch of awesome classic suits that we would never see um, in the movies, um, but they just shoved them in there too. And you're like, oh hey, Marvel's suit. Um, so that that was really cool. They they made her invincible during the end part of the movie. And it's going to be interesting to see how that goes into Endgame. Um, I don't know. Uh, obviously, I, I if there... People can't say Brie Larson doesn't smile. That, that was the first thing I noticed. Like, the very first line of the movie's a joke, you know? Um, and I totally didn't expect that. I didn't expect... It to be that humorous from the get-go, which was my bad because I'm like, well, it's a Marvel movie. It certainly has that Marvel flavor to it, but it was almost from the very, very beginning they had her uh, joking with Yonrog and stuff. And apparently, even though they're like the most, they're the Kree elite, they still take the subway, I guess. They don't fly or anything. Uh, but it was a very, very solid movie. In terms of origin movies, it, it was really good. It almost didn't feel like an origin movie of sorts. It kind of came after the origin. Um, but it was good. I liked it. I, I really enjoyed it. You guys know me. I love the cosmic-y stuff. And the whole scroll twist was amazing. I love what they did with the scroll. And they looked good. I was very hesitant, even in the trailers, but, uh... The scrolls looked very good. Ben Mendelssohn's like a natural born scroll. So let's talk about the scrolls a little bit. Uh, the big change from the comics is that they were very sympathetic characters here. I feel like in the comics there are good scrolls, but not super commonly. They're far more like, I mean, they, they certainly were subverting our expectations. Does this cause a problem for them in the future? Like, does it feel like a secret invasion movie is going to be harder to do with the way the audience expects scrolls to be at this point? I don't know. Um, obviously, the scrolls we saw um, are are good people, but obviously, as we've learned from the news, every demographic, regardless of age or shape or race as a certain group of bad people. Um, so I would guess, I mean, maybe Captain Marvel too. Obviously there's going to be a, um, a radical sect somewhere out there that's kind of, uh, um, you know, upset at the Kree, right? I mean, what they've set up at least is that the scrolls are complex. You know, they're not just evil little green men. They're not, they're not righteous, good um beings they created a complex you know they've created characters that are or a a species that's complex it can be good it can be evil it has emotions it has families um so i think marvel's smart enough that they can convince an audience that there's an evil sect of kree of scrolls we already know there's an evil sect of the kree we just aren't clearly told that there are pink and blue Kree. 
And to be honest, we haven't really seen a good group of Kree, have we? I mean, Marvel was she a good Kree? True. She defected, though. So, yeah, she was a good Kree. But I guess at least in our experience, I mean... And that's the thing. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of adds a whole nother depth to this thing. Because that Kree body was around since World War II, right? Pegasus, so Pegasus was a part of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Did I understand that right? Or was Pegasus a different government thing and Fury just had access? So it was connected. Um, I forgot Iron Man 2 has a reference to Project Pegasus. There's a scene where Stark is going like, oh, pull me up all the files on this and this and this and Project Pegasus. So yeah, I'm... No, no, go. I was just going to say there's a Kree body. There's a half of a Kree body still out there when Captain Marvel's taking effect in possession by S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and they really didn't... I thought it might have made S.H.I.E.L.D. more complicated. It was really neutral. It didn't really throw anything into the... Uh, you know, it didn't throw a wrench into the plans when it comes to S.H.I.E.L.D. at least, as far as I could tell. I'm sure someone somewhere out there has a problem that it retcons S.H.I.E.L.D. or something of that nature. Yeah, I just felt that the way that they took the scrolls, if we do a movie in the future and the scrolls are invading Earth, I think there's going to be a little bit of dissonance for the audience of like, wait a minute, these are those poor refugee people that were getting beat up on in the last movie. And it's not that people don't understand there's complexity and that there's good people and bad people and all, you know. You've just you've moved the momentum one way on scrolls as a character. And so at the end of this movie, when you see that scroll makeup, you're sort of inherently thinking good of them instead of going, hmm, I don't know about those guys. So, I mean, but they made us question if Captain America was a villain. I mean, we had a whole movie of Captain America versus Tony Stark. I mean, I think we can handle this. Yeah, that's true. I, I was very surprised. They didn't really set up secret invasion like I thought they were going to. Like, as I understood it, there's technically no scree... Is it... Not scree. Scrolls. There's no scrolls on Earth anymore, is there? Oh, I think... I, I think I came out of this assuming there are scrolls all over Earth. Really? But that was because the first time around, I forgot that they went up in the spaceship at the end. Um, But, I mean, there could easily be scrolls anywhere. Well, they could. But, I mean, it calmed my fears. I'm like, oh, no, now that they're introducing scrolls... I mean, Endgame's going to be a game of uh, who's a scroll and who's not, but I don't really feel that way anymore. Yeah, we talked about the the way scrolls could go bad and, like, the way they could do fake deaths, like, oh, that character died. No, he was a scroll, and, like, how old that would be. And I think I feel much more comfortable about that now than I did before we watched this movie. And I mean, that's that's not to say there won't be secret invasion. Obviously, all they do is have to come back with all their newfound technology from the Tesseract. Also, the Tesseract, what a hell of a journey that's been. Because right now, it's like light years away from space, right? Oh, no. It's on Fury's desk. So somehow... Well, no, never mind. It's Yeah, it's on Fury's desk. So they... I figured they needed it. And then they had it. Right. And Loki came in Avengers to get it. Right, okay. I thought they took that with them. So they all they needed it for was for a couple of days to build their lightspeed thing, and then they... 
Adam, you stayed for the credits, right? Yeah, I stayed for the credits. I totally forgot about uh, Goose barfing it up. Yeah, I stayed for the credits. I totally forgot about uh, Goose barfing it up. Yeah, I mean, I think the the whole trajectory is it was sitting in that church in Norway, and Red Skull gets it, and he makes weapons with it, and then he puts it on his airplane, and it falls through the floor, and it goes into the ocean. And then Howard Stark picks it up off the bottom of the ocean and investigates it. And somewhere along the line, Stark and Marvell exchange it as part of Project Pegasus and Shield's involvement in Project Pegasus. And then she takes it up to be on her ship. And then it gets brought back via the Flarkin. And then it gets spit onto Fury's desk. And he eventually puts it in that bunker under the ground i just pictured talos just like hammering away or tinkering with the tesseract on screen or whatever to make their warp drive but because it may and then also apparently carol can travel at light speed as well yeah well okay so here's how i saw it is that uh, no talos didn't make the warp speed ship marvell had made the warp warp speed ship she just wasn't done and hadn't gotten on it and gone away and then Carol got the powers from the Tesseract when they blew up. So, like, that little ship that Marvell had was powered by the Tesseract. Like, she had used Tesseract power or whatever for it to be so powerful. That power conveyed onto Carol when it blew up. Therefore, she had the same light speed power as the ship, and they both had it already because Marvell was, you know, genius scientist, whatever. And so they both had the light speed capabilities. And also, we probably shouldn't think about it too much. See, I didn't think that Marvell ever made a light speed engine. I thought it was a prototype in the jet that Carol crashed, and they never got it to work fully. Maybe the scientific minds of the scroll race were on that ship. But the whoever had the coffee that was sitting next to the plans, the women were on the ship, and we've already proven that the men can't even figure out the coordinates or a spot in space. So maybe the women that were sitting there drinking the coffee on the ship went ahead and were like, tinker, tinker, here we go. All we needed was to dot that I, cross that T. And when the men got there, they were just like, okay, we ready. Because right. I was going to say, science guy's dead. Yeah, science guy, like, did he sacrifice himself? Or do you think that Talos, I, I, yeah, I'll always screw up his name. Do we, do we think that Mendelssohn was just like, dude... I appreciate your service. We need you to sacrifice yourself because you were a dumbass science guy. I don't know. Who cares? I hope Funko comes out with science guy. Funko pop, though. That's all I want. <laughs> they already leaked the uh, Flurkin one, and I'm definitely getting the Flurkin one. That's a must-buy. Uh, so can we talk about... Um, somebody was saying that the movie will make you like cats more. I predict that it'll make people a little bit scared of cats more. I mean, how do I tell a cat from a flurkin? And I love, did you catch Ben Mendelsohn's little line? What's a cat? I thought they did really well with the flurkin as far as they saved it and saved. I kept waiting for it earlier and earlier and earlier. And they saved it sort of for the perfect moment. And it had a good comedic effect, but it had a good plot thing to it as well. And so I, I was there for it. I think some people really don't like the way Fury lost his eye. They felt like it was a little cheap. It just seemed, for me, it just seemed weird. I'd think you'd be more like screaming and crying if you got your eyeball scratched out. But 
he was just kind of like, oh. I think it was more like most people lose their eye. Like it was a slow infection. Like at f- he really didn't think it was much. And then it was just like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. I should have gone to the doctor three days ago. Oh, this is more than just a heavy round of antibiotics. Well, and then uh, Talos even did say something like, oh, it's more than just a scratch. Yeah. But they knew exactly what they were doing. I mean, they teased the eye thing the whole movie. And I thought that was brilliant. So praise to that person on Tumblr that, like, when the first Captain Marvel trailer came out, pieced together, like, Fury with Goose and, like, doing Kitty talk to Goose and pieced it together with Fury saying, the last time I trusted a person, I lost my eye. It is interesting to me the way this retcons certain scenes in the MCU. Like somebody put on Twitter, when you watch Winter Soldier now, and Cap and Nick are going back and forth, and he goes, the last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye. You will now laugh. That has become a comedic line in a way it never was in the original movie. You know, the original, you're like, ooh, what does that mean? Who was it? What was the mission? And now you're just gonna, like, chuckle. Um... And the idea that when, like, Nick first enters the Malibu home of Tony Stark to talk about the Avengers, like, he's got Carol in his brain. Like, he's talking about Captain Marvel, the Avengers initiative. That whole idea is wrapped up in her person and the way she acted, which I think is really interesting. It also explains some of the marketing. People were fussing about, like, there's posters that said, before the Avengers, there was her... And people are like, oh, but what about Captain America? He was from World War Two. blah, 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 blah. Well, now we know why. Like, that marketing makes sense. Before the Avengers, it was her, because the Avengers are named after Carol, so. But they did call Captain America the first Avenger. <laughs> yes, and the, yeah, that's true. I mean, they literally made his movie the first Avenger. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give them the stupid people voice. I, uh, when you brought up the retcon thing, I thought you were going to talk about the toast. Because apparently, what is it, Age of Ultron, where they're at Barton's, apparently he's either eating, like, a sandwich or toast that's cut diagonally. Oh, really? Yeah, that's what I thought you meant. I'm like, oh, jeez, how'd the internet find this out already? Oh, I assumed he was lying about that cut diagonally thing. There's something about it. There's a toast conspiracy or sandwich conspiracy, bread, there's a general bread conspiracy going Around the internet as of now. Now, Adam, leading into this, we talked a lot about Annette Benning and whether she'd be Supreme Intelligence or she'd be Marvell. Turns out everybody's right. She's both. Everyone's right when it comes to that. <laughs> did you, did you like what they did with that or It's it made a lot more sense on screen. I never really got I never really understood because uh, I mean, even so, let's let's talk the supreme intelligence. Even in the comics, the supreme intelligence is this is a computer, but it's also this bio organic floating green head. But it doesn't make sense because it's very computer based and it can send out infections and viruses and, and things of that nature. And it doesn't really make all that much sense um, in the comics. You just see this big. Floating head, and I already forgot the Power Rangers name. Zordon, Gorgon. Um, it's not Gorgon. Um, Power Rangers head guy. Uh, it's kind of like that. Um, it just makes sense what they did in 
and, and Captain Marvel with it. Um, I love the holo design. I thought the holo design was going to be a lot like Ronan's stony ship thing. Um, but they almost added some Thor Ragnarok, Sakaar type stuff to it. Um, but the Supreme, I mean, it made sense. It made sense for the computer wires to come up and get attached. And it transferred you into this uh, Matrix-like thing. Um, it made sense. Um, I liked Annette Benning far more as Wendy Lawson. And um, I know that the neckbeards are going to be pissed off at that. But whatever. Let them be pissed off. I, th- I thought that was awesome. As soon as they saw said Wendy... I'm like, oh, that's cool. Um, but the Supreme Intelligence, yeah. A, a bit disappointed that they actually didn't show the big green face. So let's talk about this. I mean, the Marvel Studios is planting words with people and telling them to say certain things. Right? Because Jonathan Schwartz or whatever said on the said visit... Flat out said, yeah, we're we're going to see the Supreme Intelligence in the whole form or whatever. And they even had uh, concept art of the green face on the set visit. So either they did it and they deleted it um, or they led people on. And then Fury with his, uh, not Fury, Samuel L. Jackson with his time travel comments. Oh, I think he was just screwing with people. Right. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it was planted. I did read that the Annette Benning as a Supreme Intelligence thing was a very late, like they were in the process of casting an actor to be Supreme Intelligence. And apparently it was Anna Bowden that one moment, like in one of the last production meetings before they started filming or in the middle of filming said, what if we just make it Annette Benning and do this thing where it's this person that you respect? So it was a very late decision, according to Kevin Feige. So there's, I mean, I maybe later, but then I didn't even get, I got the sense that the Supreme Intelligence, I mean, it's not a physical place. It just seems like it's the, there's these pods strategically placed around Hala or their ships, right? And then they just attach to that and it goes, the consciousness goes to like a server or something. My assumption is that in that like temple that she went to early on or whatever that was that the real floating head is back there behind a wall somewhere. They just don't think it's uh, as as uh, photogenic as they want it to be. And there'll be a reveal at some point where we'll see it. There are mysteries left to be solved, Adam. We don't have to know everything right now. And the last thing this movie needed was a green floating head. That would give me lots of scroll questions. If there was a green floating head in charge of all the Kree, then is that a scroll that like, is that the king of all scrolls that's actually been controlling them? Is that, I, I don't need all those questions. I just need my badass lady. And Annette Bedding was the badass lady. There was a moment when they started playing Come As You Are and Annette Bedding was going evil where I was like, okay, yeah. This is kind of what Sigourney Weaver should have been in Defenders. <laughs> yes! Yes. I mean, and, and as Adam's been calling it, and they gave us the Defender song. Um, which, okay, so I'm going to go on my rant now. Nirvana was not a thing in 1989. 
Nirvana had come and gone by 1995. Kurt Cobain was dead by 1995. It was still on the radio. So the only way Come As You Are is buried in her subconscious as much as Dr. Lawson is if the whole time she's driving around with Fury, Fury is playing that song over and over, which you can either believe that or you can believe they screwed up and Come As You Are makes no sense in that scene in this movie. The end. I still think there's another option. I think the Kree have been surveilling Earth for a long time, and the Supreme Intelligence just likes Nirvana. Well, but the thing about having the person you respect most as you know, as the person that shows up in the Matrix, whatever, in the Supreme Intelligence, is it's tapping on that emotional feeling that you attach to that person, that scene, that song, that sound. There's probably smells to the Supreme Intelligence's little world there. And if it doesn't, in your subconscious, trigger something, and, I mean, we're led to believe, a sense of trust, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Yeah, it makes sense for the Cree to suddenly have discovered, or, you know, to have discovered Nirvana or to like Nirvana and give us Nirvana there in Hala, but not in Carol's subconscious. Though I'm just a girl playing when she does her, like, you know, whatever. I mean, that fits with the time period of the show, and we don't have to believe it's in her subconscious. And that is awesome you guys really liked waterfalls it would, when they were driving to pegasus or whatever i just thought it was very out of place waterfalls is playing on maria lamp so we have a disagreement here i think adam thinks it's in the car it's not in the car it's playing from her radio she's working on her plane or whatever no but right but it's playing over the scene that they're driving to pegasus no it's not no, it's playing when Maria Rambo's working on her plane. They drive up, they drive, they're in Louisiana, they drive up on her property, and she's got waterfalls blaring from the radio while she's working in her little airplane garage. Are you sure? No, I think wa- waterfalls is when it's overlaid when they're driving to Pegasus, because they're driving like in the desert or whatever. That's what Adam wrote up for comicbook.com, so that's... Uh... <laughs> No, because I've found that on three different... What is Michael T. Ford saying? Michael T. Ford's listening. What's what, what's he... But I, I think you're wrong. Oh, he's with Adam. He says it's playing in Fury's car. Ah! But that being said, I can totally believe that Samuel L. Jackson in 1995 was listening to TLC's Waterfalls in his car. Well, I, I know it's believable. It just seemed out of place when it was... I don't know. It just seemed like it needed like a more umph. I thought it was playing for Maria Rambo's um, stereo when they walked up to her in Louisiana. I don't know. We'll we'll have to watch it again to figure these things out. I mean, at least at least we can agree on "Come as You Are." I'm like, what is this? I mean, one it shows that Marvel Studios doesn't know what was used in the Defenders or care anyway. <laughs> Because at least three of us saw that and thought, Defenders music? Um, Though I wanted Nirvana in this movie, it was just a weird place to put it. I mean, it was weird that they went with that song, and it was weird they put it in that pivotal moment. Um, I'm Just a Girl was perfectly done. 
um, hole over the credits was great. I liked the garbage song. I thought that fit pretty well where they put it in. I like Angry Girl Rock with Carol. To me, it just it fits well. Yeah, and I know we were all sad that there was no Alanis Morissette. Though, I mean, in a weird way, the Mallrats reference to me was made up for no Alanis Morissette. Um, just having Alanis in that, I'd be like, how- Alanis was in one of Kevin Smith's movies. Let's talk about the credit scenes. Uh, so yeah, uh, mid credit scene. I I was a little surprised by it. Carol shows up at Avengers, uh, the Avengers facility, and it's close after the end of Infinity War, based on Scarlett Johansson's hair and Cap's beard, right? I I guess so. I was a little underwhelmed by this scene. Does Cap actually shave? Could that be CGI in the trailers and teasers? <laughs> It seems like a weird thing to CGI, different facial hair for Cat. Oh, yeah, it seems to concoct a full scene and just throw in a trailer, too. I mean, so her hair short, they're still counting the death tolls, it seems like, on the computer. Like, they're going through all these different countries and they're tabulating how many people disappeared. I think what surprised me is... My assumption was that Carol was going to be the turning point of Endgame. Where it was like, oh, we don't know what to do. How are we going to beat Thanos? And then Carol was going to show up and I was like, oh, now we have options. But if I'm putting the chronology together right, Carol will be with the Avengers for months or years before Endgame even starts. Well... Carol's going to go out and find Tony. Like, Carol's going to help put the band back together. Yeah, that's that's gone up significantly, I think, at this point. Do you... Th- have you guys read the footage description from the shareholders meeting? Uh, a little bit. How spoilery do you think it is? I've kind of avoided it. It's probably the second trailer. But the band is together in the footage, is the sense I get. Everyone besides, I mean, Nebula's in the Avengers compound. Um, so she gets back there somehow. Which works with Rhiannon's theory that Captain Marvel takes care of it. Yeah. Well, maybe, but Captain, how did, how'd she arrive? Like, was she just chilling in there and popped up? They never showed how she got to the Avengers compound. She followed the beeper. She followed the beeper. Right, but did she just, like, walk in the front door, or did she, like, teleport? Or... Oh, I bet she knocked a wall down. She came in through the roof. She actually crash-landed the Benatar, and we it's off-screen somewhere. But it, it does just change. I don't know. I just assumed Carol would appear mid to late in the movie. But, again, based on Black Widow's hair, like, it's like Infinity War happens, the snap happens... And then a month or so later, Carol shows up, and then we fast forward to Endgame, which is not what I was expecting at all. I mean, I think, I think there's going to be a significant amount of getting the band back together. I mean, I think that I think all of that does happen pretty early, but I think there's going to be time where she's trying to find Tony, trying to find all the pieces, trying to figure out who intergalactically has survived, so that 
they can make a plan forward. Because we know we're going to get to see, like, some years of the world adjusting to the snap. So I think she shows up. Maybe she doesn't even trust these guys or something. Because, like, Fury's not there. And then the end, like, you know, well, where's his buddy Coulson? And they think he's dead or something. Maybe. Um, and then we have, you know, Gap while Carol goes off and does her thing. The irony is Coulson probably really is dead. He does. They don't just think he's dead. He actually is dead now. Yes. We never did talk about that. That was probably one of the most uneven uh, yeah. things of the movie, right? He looked like he was three different characters. Yeah, there were definitely scenes with Coulson in the movie where I didn't realize it was Coulson. I mean, it just, like, it was so uneven. I thought it was just a whole, another throwaway S.H.I.E.L.D. character. Also, I'm so in tune to this stuff, or whatever you want to say, that the second they started showing numbers in the end credit scene, I went, oh, no. Because I know damn well people are going to start analyzing that. Like, well, actually, it should be... The population of Norway. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like a very complex eight years later thing. I do think there's an answer here for uh, why did people have been asking, why does Fury wait to page her until now? And there's talk that, well, maybe he didn't. Maybe he paged her earlier and this is the first time she responded. It does strike me that if I'm Carol and I get the page from Fury and half the people around me start dusting at the exact same time, I go, oh, I probably should go to Earth to check this out. Because all the people with Carol are dusting too, right? Absolutely. What I think is interesting is they didn't establish Carol having a huge emotional investment in Earth. Like, it's not like she has to get there. It's not like, oh, I have to save the humans. I mean, do you think they gave her a feeling of being more, having more allegiance to humans than Kree? Or, I mean, obviously the Kree did bad things to her, but having more allegiance to humans than scrolls or um, any other beings in the galaxy? Do you think she feels any allegiance to Earth? Yeah, I think what's hard is, do we ever get the sense that her memories? fully come back to her or she's just aware of them that's right no that's what i yeah it's they left it like as she yeah she was just aware of them and she didn't regain them which i thought was another interesting choice yeah so like i mean i think that's where like aliens are attacking earth and I like, I mean, Feige addressed this head on. He was like, you don't know that she wasn't there when they were fighting the Chita- uh, the Chitori. Um, she might have been there. Fury might have called her. Um, she might have just been sitting right outside the atmosphere going, nah, they good. Um, or she could have actually been involved in, you know, giving them a hand up. You know, maybe it would have been a worldwide Chitori evasion. Or, or she pushed Tony through the wormhole. Like, as he's falling to Earth and it's, like, closing in behind him, she, like, gives him a little shove to make sure he makes it back through. Yeah, I mean, maybe she's, like, the little secret hand throughout this whole... You know, everything that didn't work in the past, we can just be like, ah, Captain Marvel was there. Um, but, 
I don't know. I don't, I, I hope they do address it. I mean, I hope in Endgame she says something about it, like, yeah, it's gone off a couple of times, but this is the first time I've been able to fit it in my schedule or something. She also said that it only works for two galaxies away. Hmm. So she must be in the immediate vicinity, quote unquote. Well, Flurkins can hold an entire galaxy in their stomach. There you go. I hope, I hope we get Flur or not Flurkin, Goose and Rocket. I do too. I hope out of that comic scene, oh, I hope we get that so much. Uh, sequel, were we going to talk sequel thoughts or? Real quick before we do, I think we need to talk about the Rambos just a little bit more. I don't feel like we did much. I I thought that Maria Rambo, uh, Lashana Lynch, I think, is that the actress? She was awesome. And there was like an emotional depth to that part of the movie that as soon as she was on stage or on screen, all of a sudden, like the emotion of the movie just moved and worked in a way that it wasn't working before. And I thought she was very impressive. Even Monica is such a little badass, too. She's going to be so good. She was giving me feels... Yeah, I, I... I have just watched Wrinkle in Time recently. And... I, I feel like there's this new, like... Yeah, you know, like, there's there's these little... Badass little girls coming out. And I liked Monica a lot. I hope she's an endgame. As an adult woman, that's just awesome and helps out. Yeah. I, it, it'll it be interesting to see. I don't remember how Monica, and Michael T. Ford I'm sure has this. I don't know how Monica becomes Captain Marvel in the comics. But I don't know. Could an adult Monica tinker with the wreckage of that ship maybe to like experiment and give herself powers? It'd be interesting to see. Like, is there a way that we could get a fully formed Monica Spectrum just out of nowhere in Endgame as, like, a surprise new entity, I wonder? Well, Maria got a job with S.H.I.E.L.D., right? So she probably would have been around the Tesseract or assigned to the detail with the Tesseract, so there might be something there. And also, what's stopping Thanos from using the... That's what I don't get. So the... The Tesseract's technically the Space Stone, right? So how's it getting all these powers from the Space Stone? But the Stone... So, like, could Thanos use the Space Stone and turn in Outriders to all these flying Captain Marvel-type photon-blasting things? I mean, Red Skull found a way to turn the Tesseract into big laser blasters. Weapons, right? Also, that's probably why she doesn't age, question mark. They never really said that either. I assume it's something, or the Kree blood, yeah. Also, new suit. Did someone mention the new suit? Yeah, like more gold on it, I think, on the shoulders and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's more cosmic-y. It's almost armory type. All right, so yeah, talking sequels, um, just to move kind of to segue those things I am really excited about the idea of Kamala Khan showing up in these movies some way because the scenes with young Monica suggested to me that if they keep Bowden and Fleck 
that they could do better to me with a Miss Marvel tone than they even did with this movie. Like, I think they would have the right sensibilities because I think some of my favorite stuff was Louisiana stuff that was a little more like emotional and family and all that kind of stuff. And the idea of handing them Kamala and her family and her friends was really exciting. Dude, Monica could show they're in Louisiana. They could she could she could show up in Cloak and Dagger. Ooh. I bet you want to go cosmic though, right, Adam? With sequel? Hell yeah, I want to go cosmic. I want Carol to uh either form Sword or Carol to join up with Alpha Flight and just totally kick ass among the cosmos. But then on the other side, part of me wants to uh have it be another prequel. I think they could do a thing where they introduce Richard Ryder and set it up so she's dealing with Richard Ryder during the Kree's and Darien War. Because obviously they kind of laid the groundwork there where she's tired of the Kree just killing all these people, right? So maybe, obviously she could be the one that caused that treaty to be signed in Guardians of the Galaxy, right? We don't know. Um, so she could have been instrumental in something of that nature. Um, and obviously that would piss Ronan off and uh, cause him to do what he's done. Um, so I like that. But then after, you know, after Endgame, with, with all the uh, properties consolidated, of course, it's, you would think, S.H.I.E.L.D. or... Or someone's like, maybe we should really... I mean, we have the technology to do it. We have all this vibranium. We have access to some vibranium. Maybe we should, you know, make a real-life Star Wars. You know, draw some inspiration from Reagan and do this interplanetary defense-type thing. Um, I mean, she is Star Wars. (laughs) But, you know, why not just take the uh, ISS and throw some vibranium on it and make it this huge gigantic space needle in space. All right, um let's do this real quick. We've talked a lot of positives. Is what's what's the biggest negative to you in this movie? Like was there one thing you really didn't like? I thought Ronan was going to be in it more than Coulson. I guess I thought Ronan was actually going to be in it. He was in what two uh two hologram scenes then that closing scene at the end i think um i'm not even sure if that's a negative and it was like a bad video game in the hologram too i thought it looked weird right i mean korath korath was in it far more than ronin um i don't know i didn't really have the comedy was kind of off-putting at first uh, I, I guess I just didn't anticipate it right out of the gates. Uh, Coulson, I guess, maybe. Coulson was way too inconsistent. Um, I'm not even sure if that's a huge critique. I mean, Fury was such a different personality that, like, I just don't see it was Fury. Yeah, like, and I didn't see something about Fury keeping the creature that clawed out his eyeball as a pet in his office. I don't know how I feel about the fury we know, but then again, like we haven't gotten much character. I mean, like we haven't really gotten to know fury a lot in the later films. I don't feel 
he's intentionally been a whole lot of a mystery. And it just feels kind of inconsistent, but that, but that's not a complaint. It's just sort of like, like, I don't have like, there's nothing in this movie that I'm like, ugh, that was bad. There's just a lot that I'm like, you know, it was just shy of being absolutely perfect. Um, and I think they could have, you know, like I didn't leave this movie going, everybody must see this. And I think they could have maybe tweaked it a little bit more and gotten to that point. But what do I know? I've never made a movie. Um, I think my biggest problem, and it's, it's a significant one for how I try to like evaluate it. I felt like this movie didn't overall have a tone. Like, there's a lot of fun pieces to this, but sometimes they felt a little piecemeal and, like, duct taped together, if that makes any sense. Like, I like... But I feel that that's a good... I feel that's a good comparison to, like, being a woman trying to make it in a man's world. So if we look at this as a lady movie trying to make it in a world where men are always the stars... Like, if you come off and it's all funny, then it's like, oh, you know, she's not a real superhero. She's she's a funny girl. And if it comes off being too sexy, it's too sexy. If there's too much romance, there was no romantic subplot, you guys. And there was no romantic subplot. And not only that, but they also never even dipped into any kind of like sort of sexualization or objectification. Like, maybe this is silly, but... I think a lot of directors or a lot of people, when she changed from her Cree outfit into the Nine Inch Nails, like, t-shirt and jeans, there would have been a scene of her, like, changing out and open. Or, like, something that would have, like, hinted at, like, her in her underwear. Or, like, somebody, like, peeking over and being like, woo! You know, like, there would have been, like, some kind of moment. Oh, she changes clothes. We'll have to make mention of that. And in this movie, they're like, no, she changed her clothes, whatever. You know, like, there's so many times where they could have thrown in something in that line and they just didn't need it. And I love that they didn't. Yeah. But that's what, like, back when we said, like, what, you know, what do you want from Captain Marvel? You know, what could she bring that hasn't been touched on? They did a lady movie with no romance. I mean, superhero movie with no romance, you know? No romance at all. I am so excited. I just, this movie just went up like so many notches for me. Well, and her and Fury remain completely platonic. Like that would have been such an easy thing to put in some kind of tension in there or whatever. I mean, they they could have made it that, that Jan Rog, you know, they could have thrown, there were so many places where they could have done it and they didn't. But that's the thing. So like, I think going back to what you were saying, like, I think that in itself is a nice metaphor for um, like women trying to make it in men's worlds is that, you know, if you go too funny, then, you know, you can't be taken seriously because you're funny. If you go too emotional, you can't be taken seriously because you're emotional. If you go too hard, you can't be liked because you're too mean and too hard and all of that. And I think they very carefully walked all of those lines. And I think, you know, that is a very, very careful balance. I think what I meant, maybe tone isn't even the right word as much as like genre. It just like, it opens as this big sci-fi movie. And then there's almost like this like war scene um, with Star Force. And then she's doing all the flashbacks. And then we're on Earth and it's like all of a sudden we're dropped in a lethal weapon movie. 
And then it's like a conspiracy thriller movie for a little while. And then it's like a family drama in Louisiana. And then boom. Oh, all right. Now we're back in space. And I guess for me, that felt a little bit choppy. Like, I don't know if this is fair, but you could have told me that they used two or three cinematographers in this movie. And I would have believed you because the color palette and everything was just so different from like space to space. And it's, I get that it's the earth cosmic thing that they have going on, but it just, if there was just, it doesn't feel cohesive to me. There's a lot of scenes I loved in this movie, but there's a lot of ways it felt like a series of scenes instead of a cohesive film. And I may be the only guy that feels that way, but yeah. No, I'm with you. And I think our, our buddy Charles Villanueva pointed this out too. Like the editing is inconsistent. Like it's not great. Um, it, I particularly noticed it like when they're in ponchos and she's talking to Fury about, you know, like she shoots her photon blaster and she's like, a squirrel can't do that. Um, like from one angle, her head is tilted. And from the other angle, her head is straight up. And like you cut one way and it, it, it's not edited well in some scenes. Yeah. But I've never edited a movie, so what do I know? I agree, too. I've heard several people online talk about the fight in the spaceship is shot and edited in such a way. You can't tell who's who. You're like, where are we? Like, it just it moves back and forth. And as much as I like some of the work done, these these directors are not action directors, I don't think. They did an okay job in some aspects. But I felt like some of the scenes... It just isn't, like, as good as what the Russo brothers, for example, would do, given they're masters of kind of these fight scenes at this point. But Right, there's that one scene on, uh, after they play the uh, audio file, the black box file or whatever, I don't think there's been a shot that's looked like it in the MCU yet when Carol storms out of the garage or the wherever that computer is. Uh, it was like Mississippi grind. It looked like an indie movie. I don't think the... I don't know how it looked. It just looked different. That's not a critique either. I figured while you go over to... I mean, I was alive in the 90s. I didn't understand why they had to go to the shed to play a CD on a computer. But anyways, that's a... Yeah, was that like a covert computer? So I guess I didn't get that either. Um, but you guys, I mean, because you guys are younger than me, um, did the playing of that CD trigger any memories for you guys? Because, like, I had I had Mike next to me. I was three in 1995. Yeah, so you didn't, like, have the struggle of putting something in and patiently waiting for it to happen, like... I, 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 I was sitting there next to Mike, and I was like, this is too real, too real! <laughs> Yeah, that was good. So let's finish with this. I mean, we're not going to ask you to rank all 21 movies. Generally speaking, do you have a sense of where this is going to fit in your kind of rankings of these movies? It'll fit in probably my top three or five. I mean, I might still have Black Panther and Thor Ragnarok on top of it, but it could possibly beat Ragnarok. We'll have to see. It, wait, Ragnarok's your favorite, or it Captain Marvel beats Ragnarok? 
Also, I'm glad that you and I both have probably have Ragnarok in our top five. Uh, Ragnarok's for sure in my top five. I know it's Caleb's bottom five, but whatever. I mean, Ragnarok for me is pure watchability. Like, I could watch that movie over and over and over and over. Infinity War, I may never watch again. I mean, like, it gave me an emotional experience, but it's not one I ever need to have again. Um, Black Panther, I could watch over and over. This movie, I've already watched twice in theaters. Um, I, I feel like I could definitely watch it a few more times. Um, so, like, I think, like, I'd have to really look into it and think about it for, like, a full ranking, but it would definitely be in my top five. Yeah. It wouldn't be in my top five. I would probably rank it... Are you sexist? Oh, jeez, come on. <laughs> Good lord. Oh, no, okay, Captain Marvel is my favorite movie ever. Ever. <laughs> I'm just teasing for any of our listeners. It would probably be 10-ish, maybe. I, I picture it kind of just slightly edging out Doctor Strange and Ant-Man. Um, I had I don't even know what else is in my rankings. Um, I'd say probably ten, maybe seven or eight ish. I don't. I'd have to look back and do at least another rewatch. It's certainly uh, edging into the top half. Interestingly, I'd I'd put it with Thor Ragnarok as well. That low? Oh! But with Thor Ragnarok on my rankings, so it. I mean, so I'm saying like. 11th, 12th, 13th, somewhere in the middle. Not that different from where you'd put it, Adam. Really? Well, yeah. I think some of it is, I really love it when they expand the universe. And so, like, a Black Panther or a Guardians or a Doctor Strange, they took us to really new places. For me, it's as hard to get excited about this because we've been international before, or intergalactic before. We've seen the Kree before. We've seen, you know, like there wasn't as many new things. And like I said, I do found, I do find it a bit of a, um, I feel a lot like I feel about Thor Ragnarok. I love the scenes in this movie. I just don't know if they feel like a movie to me. So you did bring a good point. They didn't even scratch the surface to Hala. There are what two scenes on Hala. There was virtually no world building when it came to that. Um, and that's, you know, that is another disappointment because they could have done some funky stuff. Well, and to me, that's the difference between Black Panther and this movie. And I know there's been some talk about how much should we compare Black Panther in this movie just because that was like the African, African-American diversity movie. And this is the woman diversity movie. It's not really fair to just compare them. But I think when you look at them, the thing that Black Panther did was just give us so many new worlds and so many new places and so much more sort of geography and culture. And this didn't do that. And it's maybe not fair to ask it to do it, but that was a disappointment to me. So, And I think that was, that goes back to my non-spoiler review that I gave you guys on Tuesday. It doesn't, this movie doesn't really introduce anything new except for Carol herself but it gives us a new way of looking at a lot of things that we've known. It gives us a new way of looking at scrolls, you know, added dimension to the Cree, the Tesseract, you know, another little piece of the Tesseract's journey. It gives us a new way of looking at cats. It gives us fury background. It gives us a lot of stuff that we've already known, but more detail. All right. Uh, Michael T. Ford has been in the live chat. We'll do kind of our mailbag here. 
he mentioned that he hoped Minerva didn't actually die. I did think her character was great, and so I really would not want to see her gone. Sorry, I'm pulling something up. Adam, did you like Minerva? Yeah, she was great. Uh, I love that, the face mask. You know, I saw it on the Legends figure, but she didn't have it in any of the promo art or stills released ahead uh, hand, and that was really, really comic accurate, too. So once they exploded her, I like the idea of she ejected somewhere and she's kind of been incognito on Earth, um, kind of trapped. Um, so that'd be a really cool. That'd be almost somewhat comic accurate, too, where she's Dr. Minerva and tinkers around with stuff. And that was a fairly recent comic run, too, where she like turned a bunch of humans into monsters. But yeah, I hope she's not dead. All right, uh, other uh, mailbag stuff. Dave on the website uh, feels like as far as Oscar potential, uh, if they did a Death of Captain America movie, um, that they could uh, get some Oscar buzz for that. Uh, talking about loss and grief in the MCU. Uh, I think Death of Captain America might be Endgame, but we'll, we'll see. Um and he had some other thoughts about uh, Black Widow and Eternals and Doctor Strange uh, 2 having some Oscar potential as well, particularly on visual effects. Um, he also... But I like that idea that if... I, sorry, just to jump in. I like that idea that if there was a movie following up on how the world dealt with all that grief, or even if Endgame ends up being a movie about grief, then... yeah, Okay, yeah, that might be award potential. Go on. As far as where the universe can go next, he thinks that at some point we should see a Jonathan Hickman time runs out kind of storyline. Um, I'd love to see that, you know, transition in Secret Wars, maybe. Um, uh, Herman was just saying the best part of the Dark Phoenix trailer was the fact that the release date didn't change the next day, which is a new, new level uh, deal. Um. And then uh, Love Waffle has a long comment here that I'm honestly not going to read because it's about the gifted and I don't want to spoil myself. I'm not quite caught up. I'm the only one who's watching it, I think, on, on the crew, but I am working on that. Um, he did post a picture. This is weird. Did you know that the same movie theater is in the background of the Fury getting dusted scene as is in Venom? It's all connected. In the motorcycle chase? Fury was with... San Francisco. Colby and San Francisco? Well, I don't know if they're supposed to be in San Francisco, but they were in front of the Rialto Theater, and it is the same sign. Wait, that's the uh, that's what the theater's called in Pocahontas, Iowa. Rialto Theater. Yeah, there's a lot of Rialtos. This one looks like it's got... <laughs> this one's got the same sign, I think. So, um, the the guys at Honest Trailers did a great job showing that the editing in Venom is so bad that they go past the Rialto Theater like six times in that motorcycle chase. They like to show all the cuts, and they're like, "There's the Rialto. There it is again. There it is again," because they just shot in front of the same block all day. So, all right. 
I think that does it for this week. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. You can support our show lots of ways. You can send us a message on Twitter at Marvel News Desk. You can give us a MarvelNewsDesk.com uh, reaction to a post. Uh, you can give us a buck a month over at Patreon.com slash Marvel News Desk. That'll give you access to some special content, including our annual um, Patreon podcast. Uh, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Marvel News Desk or subscribe to the YouTube channel at watch.marvelnewsdesk.com. Uh, help others see the show by giving us a five-star review on iTunes. Most important thing you do every week is you listen and you tell your friends, and we're very thankful. Thanks to Kim, Tim Cox for our logo. You can find him on Instagram at Tim V. Cox. And thanks to Alvin for the theme music. You can find him on a variety of social media platforms at The Skull School. All right. It was good to do a movie review again. It's been so long since we've had a movie, so it was nice. It's been. Have you, uh, what are we gonna do after Far From Home? Cry. Oh no, there's there's like um you know there's there's there. When is the Jean Grey movie? Whatever it's called, Phoenix, Dark Phoenix. That's that's before. That's May. That's before. New Mutants will hit Hulu at some point afterwards. It's Disney Plus, yeah. We'll have Agents of Shield to talk about. Well, but I also want to think. I mean, because when we do a movie podcast, we always have a bunch of new people. So I know you always breeze past like the Patreon and everything. But yeah, you guys reach out to us on Twitter. Um, our Patreon people get to see our faces. So you could have seen this whole podcast with my bedhead. Um, you know, you can see the unedited version where sometimes we say bad words that Caleb bleeps out you can see us in all of our glory Rhiannon's editing this week so you might get to hear the bad words on the real thing so I'm editing this week <laughs> um, I'm editing this week so I'm gonna go back and I forgot to record like the first 10 minutes of me talking so I'm just gonna go back and say whatever I want and make y'all sound however I want so it'll be special but it, so if you want to know how it really happened, you can go become a Patreon. All right, guys. Sound good. Uh, thanks for, for listening. We'll see you next week.